Well, we're going to be in Colossians 3 today. We're in our last, we have this week and next week in our series, Lion and the Lamb. So we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Feel free to flip there if you have your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, we'll be in a few other places. But we've got a little bit of setup, a little bit of work to do before we get into God's Word today. We want to get there, but we need to have a discussion first. One of the more frequent questions that I receive and have received in ministry is this foundational question of what am I supposed to do? Like, Steve, what am I supposed to be doing in life? And in that discussion, what it ultimately roots into is who am I supposed to be? There seems to be, for the vast majority of us, a juncture in our life where we struggle with the idea of who I am what is my identity? And for many of us, that kind of juncture of deep struggle is in that late adolescence, early 20s kind of area. And then after that, we kind of get into a rhythm. Maybe we start a family and we just kind of have a rhythm. But there is always seemingly the second wave of struggle in identity. Maybe when the kids leave or we lost a job, there seems to be the second wave in struggling in the area of identity. And when I think back to how I answered those questions in my past, uh, it doesn't seem to me that I answered it well. And I will ask, and I do ask for forgiveness in those responses. Uh, in the past, I have defaulted towards personality tests or trying to determine what you like or you don't like. Um, and most of that came from the fact that I, I wasn't rooted in my own identity. It was more recent in my life that I really became fixed and formed in my own personal identity. But what seems to be a common idea today, culturally, is that essentially identity is left up to you to sort of figure it out. Like there is this sort of internal navigation that we must go on of self-discovery, where one must sort through and sift through the things that I like, the things that I do, my abilities, my thoughts, my preferences, to kind of construct this ever-evolving sense of self. And what it feels like, it feels like identity is like this X on our own personal treasure maps, that we have to sort of figure out the clues and the context of our lives to finally find our identity. It's this mystery that we have to figure out that is constructed through four basic ideas in this world. And, and those basic ideas are what I like, what are the things that I like, uh, what I do, what are my skills, how I feel, what's my heart saying here, and then where I am. Those are kind of the, the basic world constructs when it comes to identity. And what has proven to be problematic, and those who pursue identity in that search know this, but the, we don't know essentially what to do because we don't know that there is another alternative to finding identity in those things. What proves to be problematic is that life never stops. Like it never stops changing. And what I like changes in a moment. What I do is fluid. How I feel is a roller coaster. And where I am is different. People move in and out of my life all the time. My location sometimes changes. My house sometimes changes. And because there is so much movement in those constructs, we often find ourselves lost. 
we find ourselves questioning who I am. What am I supposed to do? And so what we do in that is we begin to default to some consistent traits, trends, and aspects in our lives. That's why many people find their identity in how they appear to other people, how they look, or in their jobs, because there is some solidity to those things. It gives us an ease. It gives us a purpose. But we have all heard stories and know people who have lost a long-term job, whether it be by their own problems or through a company downsizing. And we all know people who go, I don't know what to do next. Which ends up moving into, I don't even know who I am. I, I don't know who, and then we begin to talk about those people and say they're having an identity crisis. But what is even more common in identity is that we define ourselves by the roles that God has given to us in his good design for family. Some of you in this room, if I would ask you, who is, and you put your name in there, who is Steve Serbal, who is your name, you might say, well, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a child, which you might be just answering the question well, really well, that, let's be honest, that could be an option, you just be answering a question well, or it may be that you really believe that's, that at the core, that's who you really are that I'm just a mom, and I'm just a dad. There's something that I mention from time to time on this platform that I've seen in my years as a youth pastor and even in my years as a pastor here that concerns me. Uh, there are way too many moms and dads who are putting their identity in their children and even grandparents into their grandchildren. And so, look, I, I really want to be careful here. My, my, I don't want to demean people. I'm not trying to sort of condemn anybody. But we really, really need to be careful if our ultimate source of satisfaction, joy, and purpose comes through our children being liked, popular, and successful. There are way too many parents who are wounded in life, who have unmet emotional needs that are trying to find and fulfill those in their children. And all that serves to do is to crush your kids and ultimately lead them to resent you as a parent. Can I be truthful enough and loving enough to say, let's consider this reality. Your kids are not your source of identity. No role is your source of identity. You're a mom, listen, be a great mom. Like, excel in that. You're a dad, a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband. Be great. Excel in those things. But listen, that's not all of you. It is not all of you. That's a role that you play. It isn't who you are. What is different in the kingdom of God is that identity isn't found through the means of self-discovery, but rather to a commitment of self-recovery. And that is really the paradox that we want to look at today in the area of identity. That identity is not found through self-discovery, but rather by the means of self-recovery. I know it's trendy. You can tweet that. I won't know it because I'm not on Twitter. Um, and so let's begin to work through this and identify what it is that we are recovering. What are we trying 
to recover. One of the things that we say here every week is that one of our core beliefs is that we are to anchor ourselves in God's unchanging truth. And when we say that, what we mean is that we believe it, the Bible, is the ultimate source for wisdom and truth in life. And when I say that, I'm careful to say this. We don't look at the Bible as some sort of instruction manual. It's not our how-to process. It's not written about you. It's not your tool for self-help. The Bible is the story of God interacting with his people. And it is best to be read as God's story because the more you learn about God, the better you understand yourself, ultimately leading to the understanding that you need something different than you to fix what's wrong in you. And so what are scriptures compel. Isn't this mysterious search for identity that's yours to find through searching and sorting, listening to your heart, finding your personality, but rather that identity is something that is fixed and framed from the very beginning of creation, that who you are was defined before you were born, bathed, or even breathed. And what God defined you as back then is still true of you today, but with a twist. There's an issue, there's an obstacle that stands in our way to recover our true identity. If we would look back in Galatians, or not Galatians, Genesis, we'll get to Galatians. In the first chapter of Genesis, in God's creation story, it says this, that so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so out of Our scriptures, what we understand is that God formed us in his own likeness, which means that we are created with the same kinds of attributes that God has. Not all of them, but some of them, and not fully, but an image of them. An image is never as pure as the real thing. And so we, his creation, have what we call the communicable attributes of God, things that are true of God that are true of us, things that we share with God as his image bearers, things like goodness and kindness, justice and love and wisdom and mercy, truthfulness, even hate. God hates sin. It's part of his attributes. Rationality, patience. All of those are perfect in God and given to you as his image bearer. And why? Because you're his. You're his creation, you're his child, and he wants to partner with us in ruling the world and the flourishing of mankind. We are his. And we see in the garden, in chapters one and two in Genesis, an immense flourishing and peace present. Identity was fully known, fully lived out, fully enacted. We were God's. God's was ours. He kept us. He knew us. He loved us. He sustained us. But what we know is that didn't last very long. Just three chapters into our word, we find that all of it broke. Mankind rejected God's wisdom and his loving boundaries because they believed that he was holding out on them. They didn't want to settle for simply being image bearers. They wanted to be God. And they rejected their true identity. And so they began to pursue God's incommunable attributes. 
Things that are only true of God that aren't true of us. Things that only a holy God has that we don't have, not because God is holding out on us, but out of his love and his mercy. See, God is omniscient. omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. That is only true of God, not true of you. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can make nothing into something by the very words from his mouth. He's omnipresent, meaning he can be anywhere at one time and everywhere at one time. He's the only being in all of the universe that's self-sufficient. He needs nothing from anyone. He's immutable. He never changes. God never changes, ever. But in the garden, humanity rejected God's wisdom and what God had gave them to pursue their own efforts and their own wisdom to be all-knowing and wise like God. They rejected their identity as God's possession, his beloved child, his beloved partners. And here's a side note for, for you. Most of your struggles in life are rooted in the very same thing. Like Adam and Eve, we want to be like God. We want to be all-knowing Google doesn't help us in this. It only hurts us. We want to be everywhere at one time, right? I don't want to miss out on anything. How can I be in multiple places? We want to be omnipotent. We want to have more power, more ability, more ways to do things. This is still, we, we want to be sufficient, self-sufficient. We don't want anything from anybody. We want to be more consistent in our life, right? This is still our pursuit today to be like God instead of finding flourishing and peace in our identity as his children, his precious creation. And so in this rebellion, God kicks humanity out of the garden and everything breaks. We're broken, our hearts are broken, culture is broken. But listen, you never stop being made in the image of God. We are still made with the Imago Dei. All of humanity is created today in the image of God. That is why you don't have to be a Christian to know love, to be kind, to be fair, to be just, to be truthful. Because all of humanity was created with God's attributes in his image out of his love. And listen, this is the core problem in our search for identity. Because nothing in this world could ever come close to being with God. Nothing on this earth could ever come close to being with God, being sustained fully by God, being loved fully by God. Does it matter what you like if you're with God? Does it matter what you do if you were with God? Does it matter how you feel if you were with God or where you're at if you were with God? No, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he's your father. He's your creator. Your identity as a child of God, his beloved creation, unbroken, will never be matched. But because everything is broken, we constantly are searching for something greater and better and never finding anything that fills it. We are, in essence, like a young man who went on a long swim in the ocean, full of hope and vigor and anticipation, only to get sucked out in a riptide and drowns 
And minutes later is rescued and revived. And in the hospital, the doctor comes to his family and says he'll never be the same. The minutes without oxygen to his brain has cost him brain function. He won't be able to physically do what he wanted to. His memory will always be there, but he'll be limited. And so this young man lives the rest of his life knowing what he was, but struggling with a trauma that won't allow him to return to it. Listen, our trauma is sin. The fall is our trauma. It has robbed us of our authentic identity in God. But listen, we are here today. We meet today because we have hope that there is cure. That Christ has taken our sin, our silliness, our disobedience. He's paid for it all. He's absorbed God's wrath. He's made peace between us and God again. And we, through his perfect life and sacrifice, are adopted as God's children again to recover what has always been true of us. Christ affords us the ability to experience our true identity as God's children. And it's an identity that's not rooted in the constructs of the world of what I like and what I do and how I feel or where I am, but it is built on who he is, what he's done, and where he sits. Paul conveys this idea of identity very well in multiple places in scripture, but I find it especially true in his letter to the the church in Colossae. In the book of Colossians, in chapter three, Paul writes these words, we'll read them together. It's a lengthy piece of scripture. Let's put our eyes on it. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you may also, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body and one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are so many important phrases in this passage. 
says, if you have been raised with Christ, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you trust in him, seek the things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. Quit trivializing yourself with the knowledge and the wisdom that is on this world. Put your minds on Christ who is seated at the right hand of a holy God. He died for you so that you might be hidden in Christ so that you might again be God's child, beloved child, creation. You are dead. Christ is life. It's what Paul says. You belong to God because of Christ. You are dead. Christ is life. And he is what offers us a chance to recover what was lost. And Paul says that there's work to be done. That we are active agents in our recovery with the Holy Spirit. Pushing us towards new desires as we trust in Christ. Exposing our hearts. Creating new thoughts and new patterns. It as if we've been handed the keys and the deed to a childhood home that we beloved and longed for, but left. A home that sat vacant for decades and was dilapidated and run down. But as you return home with your keys and your deed that were given to you to unlock this worn down, broken down home that visually doesn't look like it was, but as you walk up, you're overwhelmed the sense that this is home. This is where I've always have been supposed to have been. This is where I should be. And then you begin the joyful work of renovating and restoring the place that you've always longed to be. Listen, Christ is your deed. He is your key that allows you to come back to what you've always truly been. He dealt with your sin. He dealt with your brokenness so you could return home, not on your own efforts or by yourself, but because you are hidden in Christ, he is your life. God's love for you is unmatched as his children. He loves you and has given you all that you need to trust him. Just come home. Galatians 4 writes about our adoption through Christ. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. That is a part of who we are. We are heirs with God because of Christ. Heirs with God because of Christ. So look, there are things that need to be done. Paul wrote earlier in that passage in Colossians, or Colossians that there are things that we, therefore, must put to death. We must put to death the things on this earth. He says, for such things, the wrath of God is coming. What it means is that you're not to find your joy and your comfort and your satisfaction and your identity and broken things on this broken earth. They are all corrupted shadows of God's good creation that will come again someday and God's identity that was given to you at the very beginning of time. 
that was redeemed in Christ. Everything has to submit to Christ because you're dead. He's life. Everything must be sifted through his love, his will, his wisdom. Everything has to become Christ. It's Christ and nothing else. Everything else must be laid aside if we are to find peace and flourishing in God's good design. So that means that your primary formulation of identity is not your feelings, it's not your emotions, it's not what people say about you, it's not your job, it's not your family, it's not your gender, it's not your sexuality, it's not your skill, it's not your ability. Your body, your emotion, your, your words do not have the final say in who you are. Christ does. And we are to submit to him, not out of his need for control or manipulation, but from his desire to love and care for his children. You know, Jackie Hill Perry is an author. She's a lover of Jesus who worked through her own identity issues. She had a belief that this world conveyed her identity, that her heart conveyed her identity. And she wrote a book about not leaning into those things, not trusting in the things of the earth or our hearts, making Christ more significant than anything. She says this, she says that Eve figured fruit and not faith, sin and not obedience will give her the wisdom she needed to be more perfect than she already was. Interestingly enough, some of what she saw was true. The tree was indeed good for food and pleasant to the sight. God had made it all that way. The deception was in believing that the tree was more satisfying to the body and more pleasurable to the sight than God. Look, all the things that you want to believe that make you are probably in some ways true and good. But the question is, are they more pleasurable and more satisfying than God? And the answer is no. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you and live for Christ. Put on then, beloved, his compassion, his love, his peace. Begin recovering all those attributes through Christ that were given to you in your creation in greater fullness. And listen, the, the tension that you will walk into in this world is this tension where the Bible says deny yourself, but the culture says believe in yourself. The tension where the Bible says follow me and the world says follow yourself. Listen, only believe what's true about you if it's spoken by Christ. Believe in yourself and what Christ has said about you. Follow in yourself what Christ has deemed to be flourishing for you. Listen, if God is merciful to us, he will absolutely blow us up and expose us. He will expose our hearts that we might cry out to him for forgiveness and salvation and my hope is that you would find your identity in him, that you would pay attention to yourself today. Some of you in this room have entirely built your identity on your status. Some of you in this room have entirely built your identity on your looks, on your appearance. Not to say that it's bad to care about how we look. I'm saying that some of us have taken it to an obsessive level where identity is built on how people look at us. Be careful. 
Be careful. That is idolatry. If your identity is in your home, is in your job, it's in your kids' athletic endeavors, if it's in those things, like you're an idolater. Those things will portray you. They will betray you. They don't define you because they just, they don't. But you believe that they do. And you fearfully cling to them as if they were life because you don't know what you would be if you didn't have them. But the reality is, is that you're only God's. Your only identity is this child. You're his. And so here's how I would answer that question to people today. You know, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? I would just say, be Jesus. You're dead. You're hidden in Christ. All your issues in life would be alleviated if you just pursued being Jesus. Because he is life. All your struggles in life could be mitigated if you just pursued being Jesus. He's given us the ability to recover what was lost, our true selves in the garden through Christ. Come home. Come home. Be his and nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We are unworthy of even talking to you. We're unworthy even speaking desires of our hearts, but Lord, we know that Christ has given us the ability to come before you and speak boldly to your throne, and so today, we just cry out, our issues in life can be traced back to our beliefs and what, what and who we think we are. And so, Lord, today, we are guilty of creating our identity and what we do and how we feel and what we like and where we're at, we don't want those things. Lord, will, will you let your spirit penetrate our hearts that we would come to the saving knowledge that all we need to be is yours? That all we need to work out is, is to be Jesus who has redeemed us from a trauma to actually be what we were. God, we just pray for your truth to be known in our hearts, your love to be experienced in our lives. Change us in ways that we cannot know. And we pray all of this through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.